Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Mushtaba Rahman, Managing Director and Practice Head of Europe of the Eurasia Group. Um, you're quite an expert on, on Brexit, so it'd be a shame not to devote the entire podcast to Brexit. Having said that, uh, things are happening so quickly, it's only fair to you and to our listeners that we specify, I specify at the outset when this has been recorded. It is January the 10th, it's late morning, and we'll see by the time this is uploaded on the website whether things have changed dramatically, but let's let's push ahead anyway. The, the, the government has finally confirmed that we'll have this, this vote on its withdrawal agreement next Tuesday, the 15th of January in the House of Commons. Um, do you still subscribe to the conventional view that that uh, there is no way that the Council of Commons will uh, approve this withdrawal agreement? Yes, I do. I think you know, the interesting question is what the parliamentary arithmetic looks like and does the vote clarify how deep-seated opposition is both on the government but also the opposition side? Or also for Europe, I think they will be looking to the arithmetic to see if they can clarify the political situation in London and take that into the, their decision making going forward. And until uh, Christmas, actually, the, the the conventional wisdom was that Mrs May would sort of go to Brussels, quote unquote, get some new concessions or clarifications at least from EU27, uh, and then come back and then hold a, a second vote. Is still that's still a, a quite likely scenario? It is. It is. I think it's clear on the government side there objective is going to be to keep talking to the Europeans. So even in the event the meaningful vote fails, which I think it will, I don't think Theresa May or her lead negotiating team, Ollie Robbins and co, at that stage are simply going to give up. I think they will they will want to continue the dialogue with Europe. Um, and, and frankly, I think, given how, given how disastrous no deal is for all sides of, 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 of this process, including the Europeans, I think there will ultimately be a willingness, even on the European side, to continue with that dialogue. Um, so I think I, sus I suspect the process will be an iterative one, where the UK and EU continue to discuss the current deal and ways in which the deal can potentially be salvaged. As we know, earlier this week there were these two procedural motions uh, approved: the Cooper motion and the Dominic Grieve motion. Uh, do the, these motions have any impact on that on that particular scenario? So, so look, I do, I do think that the the amendments are important because they demonstrate uh, our long-held view that there is no majority in Parliament for no deal, and Parliament will find a way to frustrate no deal by, by simply, you know, by essentially rather choking it off as a credible option. And I think the amendments tabled over the course of the last few days seek to do that, push the government in the direction where they will need to request an extension of Article 50. Uh, to buy more time to continue negotiating with Europe. So I, I do think for now we're moving to a situation where the, m the most plausible scenario is an extension of Article 50, probably for a limited period of time, and a continued discussion with Europe. Now the pushback to that, of course, is Europe wants clarity on what, what purpose the extension will serve. Mm. So it has, to, it has to be an extension for some reason. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I, and I don't think that's wrong. At the same time, at the same time, I think it's important to say uh, the No Deal is a terrible situation for Europe. The Irish are getting yeah. nervous. The Germans are getting nervous. The institutions are getting nervous. And I don't think it's right to suggest, in the event of No Deal on Tuesday, uh, Europe will simply put its hand in it, hands in its pockets, 
and and drift towards no deal i i find that highly unrealistic so i think there will be a convergence around an extension but it sounds like to press you on that one i thought the the only way in circumstances in which the 27 would agree to an extension of article 50 because they have to as you know unanimously agree to that it's not just something that the uk could unilaterally decide on its own would be that if there'd be some kind of um constitutional development such as a general election or even a referendum this this smacks of your scenario seems about it's just extra time for more negotiation isn't well, it yes i don't think europe can Ex- can can expect or push for fundamental political change. It's not yeah. within the Europeans' gift to do or, or indeed obviously to force that. So if you are in a situation where the government believes, as I think they, they do believe, there is there is there is more there is more road and runway to explore on the current withdrawal agreement and they they, they come to Europe and they ask for an opportunity to continue exploring ways in which the current agreement can be fixed and remember this is a this is a good deal for Europe it's a good deal for Europe on the financial settlement on the rights of you acquired rights for you nationals living in the UK you know some concerns of course on the UK wide customs backstop and the level playing field commitments the government signed up to you know mm. there is a sense the UK got a good deal on that front but still overall not a bad agreement that Barnier has negotiated for the 27 they'll want to preserve the deal so I do think there's a degree of pragmatism that will present itself on the back of the first meaningful vote and I think if you're comparing the two options you know what's the counterfactual we drift to no deal which is a terrible proposition for Germany for many other countries you know does does Europe simply allow drift to that situation or does it say if the government wants to continue talking we're going to try and provide some more time to explore alternative options and I I find that to be a more realistic scenario at this stage e- even more i would say paul than than the notion that we um extend article 50 for a longer period of time to allow for fundamental political change because ultimately that's a that's an organic bottom-up process you know that's about theresa may choosing potentially to resign it's about you know mm-hmm. voter confidence in the government that brings down her government i mean these are these are these are exogenous um, these are exogenous issues that you know depend you know are, are a function of what happens in Parliament. So Europe can't push or or, or try to you know in, influence that. I think all, all Europe can do is work on the basis of what the government is seeking. And if the government is seeking more time to have a discussion, and the only alternative is drifting to no deal, I think Europe will be minded to grant an extension for a limited period of time. Is that why you're saying in, when you're doing your your writing that? Uh, Jean-Claude Juncker is being particularly helpful. I haven't seen that picked up in any, anywhere for the mainstream media and reporting on Brexit, but you seem to be saying that, that Juncker is prepared, maybe because you're saying the deal is a good deal for the rest of Europe. Is that is that the rationale? Yeah, I mean, I think we have to think about Juncker contextually. Let's think about his legacy. Let's think about what he will leave as his record at the time his mandate expires you know, after, after the summer. Mm. Um, think about de- the deal-making around Italy, I mean, the Commission was pushing for an agreement with Italy on the fiscal, on on over over fiscal policy, partly because Juncker wanted to burnish his credentials as a deal maker, wanted to make sure that he doesn't leave Europe with a big crisis on its hands in the in the form of an existential market crisis over you know, Italian solvency, given what happened on hmm. you know the, the, the fiscal situation with Italy. So they are in deal making mode, and I think one needs to think about Brexit in that context. They were pragmatic on application of the Stability and Growth Pact when it came to Italy. Pre- 
precisely because they wanted a deal. They don't want a big mess at the back end of their tenure. And I think the same thinking applies to uh, what's going on on Brexit. Um, I, I think you know there is some some there is some nuanced differences between Tusk and Juncker in terms of where they are on this. I think Tusk is adamant that he does not have the mandate or flexibility to move. Um, that's he, the he Tusk hasn't got the Tusk. Mandate. Yes, right. I mean, he's working on the basis of the existing existing mandate. Existing mandate is very clear. There's a withdrawal agreement. Position of the council is artic- articulated in December. Extremely clear. So I think there's less willingness on the Tusk side to move. I think there's more willingness to explore ways in which um, Europe can be helpful to May in the Commission. There's a lot going on there, and I think and I and I think that will, um, you know, that 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 will influence on some level the discussions in the council but one's hearing also on that that the, given let's assume that you're right uh, in what you're saying uh, and that some kind of clarification stroke concession will be made by you know from from Juncker uh, from Juncker's side um, nonetheless I think EU27 are, are concerned are they not that if they keep offering things it never seems to be enough so they have to that the timing of these concessions is also very important. Correct, which is why which is why you're not going to see meaningful movement prior to the vote on Tuesday. No, there's no if you know if, if this is about her Theresa May losing between fifty to hundred seat, uh, you know by that kind of margin, fifty to hundred votes rather. Yeah. Um, I think Europe does not believe there's much they can do at this stage to influence the outcome of that of that vote to turn the outcome. Now, I think once the arithmetic has been clarified. That I think there is a belief that there will be a better sense, but which type of world are we in, and and you know what is the what is the gap between where we are and what's necessary to fix, uh, to you know to fix the agreement and try and build a majority in the Commons. Well, well fix an agreement from the EU twenty side twenty seven side. Since you're so ad- adamant about this, I need to press you even more. Then, um, what what can Theoretically, maybe maybe no, he can't say, or you don't know, but he, he won't say. But theoretically, at least, what could the twenty seven, you know, pull out the hat? Support. Look, I think this is less about this is less about identifying the substantive fix to the withdrawal agreement, oh. or the substantive fixes that sit outside of the withdrawal agreement but have equivalent legal weight to the withdrawal agreement. It's more about an understanding of how politics works at the European level, right. and where Europe is going to be in the event the vote fails on Tuesday. Are they simply at that stage going to say we're going to drift towards no deal they're not ready for no deal we see pragmatism on the french side even among the most the 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 toughest member states in the council i i am beginning to sense a willingness to accept there may need to be more negotiation to try and achieve an agreement than simply drift to no deal. And I to s- press you around things like the backstop, but that's it's all hinges around the backstop. Well, if the backstop is the problem, then that's where there would need to be an innovative policy fix. But as I say, it's less about identifying a priori, what's the fix to the withdrawal agreement, what's the fix to the backstop, and more about understanding how politics works at the European level. And I don't think you can get serious movement on any of these issues unless we are in a situation of crisis and everyone has their back to the wall and it's in that context of an emergency of a crisis that I think the politics will will move and and as I say I sus- I'm already beginning to I think sense some of that on the French side I think the Germans are very very worried about no deal 
Um, I think the Germans, frankly, are worried about Brexit and what Brexit means about growing French influence within the EU. Mm-hmm. I think the Irish are obviously very, very concerned. There are other constituencies within the council one could point to. As I say, there's the deal-making on the younger side to protect and burnish his credentials and legacy. Um, I think, you, you know, there's a lot of factors here I think one has to consider. And it, I think it's more it's more understanding, I think, that dynamic of after the vote fails, where Europe will be in, you know. And without getting too geeky on, on the procedural stuff, on, on the Brussels side, does this mean, therefore, we, we're talking all the time about Juncker, you're saying to us, feels he has no margin of manoeuvre on his side. Uh, uh, Michel Barnier, his role is now effectively over then? He's not involved in this in these discussions? But this is complicated. Barnier wants to be commission president. There are people who want Barnier to be commission president. And for that reason, there are people who want Barnier to succeed on Brexit. I mean, there, there, there are a whole set of considerations that are driving people's motivations and the the you know their their disposition towards this this Brexit issue um you know Barnier being a success is in the interests of very many people in Brussels right um and that may be part of the reason why the commission is adopting a slightly more flexible position via via the council well let's bring it back then to finish off uh, Mitch briefly to um the Westminster the UK situation because you know as you know if one listens just to um um, British media, broadcast media, then it's all at the centre of the universe is the House of Commons at the moment, has been for some weeks, whether people agree with that or not. Um, the conventional wisdom, again, is that the vote is, takes place on the 15th of January, the meaningful vote, as you say. Uh, there'll be no support for it. It'll be voted down, at which point the Labour Party might table a motion of no confidence in the, in the government, which it would obviously lose because the numbers aren't there, at which point then there'll be enormous pressure on Jeremy Corbyn to finally come out unambiguously and, and take some position surely or not what do you think on that yeah i mean I, I think i think you're right you know there will you know little little to no chance that corbyn if he tables a motion of no confidence that that would garner a majority um you know does labor clarify its position after that i mean there there is a sense i think post labor party conference that in the event they can't force an election which obviously it's not in labor's gift to do uh, their official policy would then be, become a, a second referendum. At the moment, as I say, I think the you know as Keir Starmer also said in Parliament, um, I think I think all sides are moving to a, a recognition that Article Fifty needs to be extended for a limited period of time to allow for further discussion on the parameters of the deal that has been negotiated. So I think it's premature at this stage to yeah. argue uh, we're moving quickly to the second referendum i think i think there's more to do on the current deal the the one issue i would flag is the the grieve amendment yesterday is being perceived as deeply unhelpful in europe because mm, when the deal yeah. fails europe will need an opportunity to reflect and to come to a view there will be a discussion at the European level, probably in the European Council, among mm. leaders, I find it inconceivable that that would not happen. It would be very strange if that did not happen. Brexit mm. is not the priority, but it's certainly not a second or third order issue. It's still very important. So Europe will need time to reflect and to come to a view. Now, if, if Theresa May is forced into a plan B within the space of three days without having meaningful interaction with the Europeans, that could simply further constrain her ability to then strike a deal with the EU. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about the Article 50 letter, I mean, there was a big 
I think the right sense in the government that whatever is in that letter is what they will ultimately be assessed by. That Article 50 letter, of course, constrained the government's ability to negotiate, a, a, you know, a, 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 a deal with the the UK because of all the red lines it's articulated, which right. was subsequently eroded over the course of the negotiation once May lost her majority. So th- there's something of a, a disconnect between the parliamentary dynamic in Westminster this week and the interaction necessary at the European level to fashion a deal. And of course, Parliament wants to force the government to clarify its position and force a solution. But actually, the amendments that have been tabled, certainly this grieve amendment about coming back to Parliament within three days, could actually prove counterproductive for the discussion at the European level, because it means the government has to fashion a plan B with little or no meaningful input from the European side. And that, I think, is seen uh, among many capitals as a problem. Well, okay. Well, might be maybe lots of you know telephone diplomacy going on behind the scenes, of course, of which we're not. Uh, but Europe, aware. I think, Paul would need Europe would need an opportunity to reflect in the context of a council. Yeah, you know, twenty-seven. Yes, le- yeah, yeah. So the twenty-seven leaders need to convene and have a discussion. And I think in the time we're talking about, no opportunity to organise a general affairs council, no opportunity to organise a European council. So, at what level can Europe have that multilateral discussion? Right. I think it's very hard to do that. So, and whatever scenario turns out to be the the one left standing, as it were, where it seems clear, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the UK will not leave the European Union on the 29th of March. Then I think it's unlikely. It's looking unlikely at this stage. I think our our base case since, you know, f- for a while, frankly, has been an extension of Article 50 is necessary. And I think I think that's where this is going, of course, with all the usual caveats. Right. Very thanks much, very much time. for your thanks, time. Paul. Thanks, Paul.